Welcome to the Mindspace Podcast. I'm Joe Flanders. Thanks for tuning in. You know, psychedelics are starting to show up everywhere. And while we wait for researchers to produce the data and for lawmakers to reschedule psychedelic compounds for therapeutic use, many people are exploring psychedelics for healing, spiritual growth, creativity, and connection on their own. Now, consuming these compounds does come with some risks, and enjoying the benefits of psychedelic experiences often requires the support of an experienced guide or therapist. For these reasons, the practice of psychedelic harm reduction integration, PHRI or FREE, has emerged as an important element in the psychedelic field. My guest today has an enormous amount of experience with FREE. His name is Andrew Rose. He's a certified mindfulness teacher, uh, formerly the Director of Programming and Digital Strategy at Mindspace, and currently the Director of Programming and Content at Numinous, where he also heads up the free program. If you'd like to know more about the free programs at Mindspace or Numinous, you can check out the website, so mindspacewellbeing.com slash services slash psychedelics, and at numinouswellness.com slash services slash psychedelic harm reduction and integration. Those links will be in the show notes, obviously. Andrew is a really good friend. Uh, we've been working together for a number of years, and it was truly a pleasure to pick his brain for the Mindspace podcast, and I hope you enjoy too. Andrew Rose, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's about time. <laughs> <laughs> You've been waiting a long time for this? Uh, every day. <laughs> All right. Well, it's, it's actually really nice to, uh, to have you here. It's, uh, <clears throat> I agree it's a long time coming. And, and um, yeah, I think we've had a few warm-up conversations this one. So I think Yeah, we'll, a couple. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Let's start off. I know you well, but probably most of the listeners and viewers don't. Um, tell us about yourself, your background, and how you found yourself working in the psychedelics field. Sure. Uh, yeah, so my name is Andrew Rose. I'm from Montreal, born and raised. Uh, I have a pretty diverse background, uh, personally, professionally. I um, actually worked in the music business for a long time in Montreal, but predating that, I've always been uh, interested in consciousness, spirituality, explored and practiced various sort of Buddhist traditions for a long time, starting in my 20s. And my interest in psychedelics even predates that. So over the years, I kind of got closer and closer to, um, you know, the field that, that you're in. Um, and we met, I guess, five or six years ago, or we met longer, much longer than that, much longer ago than that, but uh, connected five or six years ago when I was moving out of working in the digital space, um, producing websites and things like that, and uh, just wanted to dive more into mindfulness and, and uh, that practices in and around that and that led to our uh starting presence meditation so drop-in uh, meditation studio uh, and eventually joining mindspace and running all of our group programming psychoeducation and then dove a lot deeper into the clinical mindfulness world and got trained as an mbsr teacher in mindfulness-based stress reduction yeah and then the the psychedelics piece was always kind of happening uh in the background of course and uh over the last few years that's come increasingly to the foreground um so starting the 
uh, starting a psychedelic harm reduction and integration program at Mindspace and now uh, and now with Numinous. I'm sure we'll talk more about about that. I'm also uh, so I'm the director of programming and content at Numinous, and I'm also an assisting trainer uh, at Fluence, which is an organization that does a lot of training uh, for therapists and clinicians uh, in psychedelics. I also co-run a community organization called Plant Parenthood, which is a digital community of uh, parents who are interested in psychedelics, psychedelic integration, and the intersection of family um, and intentional therapeutic uh, psychedelic use. Tell me, um, you can answer this as vaguely as you want, but why are we talking to you about um, psychedelics? What's your background there and how do you have the expertise that we're going to hear about today? I have no idea. (laughs) <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, folks can listen to the rest of the podcast and decide for themselves whether it was a good idea to talk to me or not. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I have a lot of deep experience with psychedelics is the sort of simple way I can say that. Uh, simple I can put it. Yeah, going back over, over 20 years and, and the experiences ranged from quite recreational and, and casual. And I'm sure there are lots of folks out there who have similar uh, experience, but certainly sort of deepened and, and broadened over the years uh, to more sort of therapeutic, again, and intense relational ways of, of working uh, with the medicines I think uh, I think also just um, as a as mindfulness teacher and practitioner and and someone immersed in um, some spiritual and contemplative esoteric uh, traditions there's a lot there as well that's complementary to exploring the psychedelic world but yeah I, I you know I like to hear from all kinds of folks uh, about psychedelics I think one of the really interesting things about the space, uh, now is there's, we're really just seeing disciplines from all over colliding, you know, psychiatry, psychology, uh, neurology. spiritual practices, neurology, right? Um, it's, it's really transforming uh, the landscape in terms of how we're thinking about consciousness, well-being, uh, relationship. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that, hopefully that suffices. Yeah, I think it does, does for me. If your listeners aren't satisfied, I'm sure there's an email they can send uh, complaints to. <laughs> so the topic today is psychedelic integration. I'd like to start with the basics and I'm sure it won't take long before we're into the abstract stuff, but let's start with the basics. What is psychedelic integration? Great question. (laughs) Integration to me is really anything and everything you can do to um, make use of a psychedelic experience that leads to a better outcome for uh, the individual uh, who's had that experience, according to you know the outcomes they desire and the values they have in their lives. So you know, in a, a sort of simple definition, would be well, it's it's the work you do after an experience to make sure you derive benefit from mm. from that experience. Mm-hmm. That that works. That's pretty pretty basic. So one of the words you mentioned is after, and sometimes I wonder if integration actually starts before is there something about that we do before that facilitates integration yeah i mean you can think about integration happening before as well um and we'll probably we can you know unpack uh unpack this in in more detail for sure um 
that's you know one of the reasons we talk about psychedelic harm reduction and integration. Uh, another way to think about that is psychedelic preparation uh, and integration. The harm reduction label is is a useful framework because um, for one, it's it's kind of an existing modality around uh, and a way of approaching sort of substance use in general and, and mitigating risks associated with it. And there are there are risks. Um, but you know, preparation can also mean how are you just setting yourself up for success so that you can go into an experience uh, you're having the best, you have the best chance of having an experience that can lead to harnessing it benef- beneficially. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can you can certainly think about integration uh, happening before, um, and you know these things are not uh, this process is not necessarily linear. You hear a lot about folks who sort of you know go into psychedelic experiences with therapeutic intent and you know they unpack something on the surface uh, or underneath that they didn't you know expect to uh, work maybe work through that or discover something and then something else is revealed underneath that that can be you know worked on later and you kind of go through the go through the cycle again right yeah okay I thought this might be an opportunity to just define what we mean by free phri where does the term come from why does it how does it encompass what you just said and what we're going to be talking about you know psychedelic integration as a concept has has been around for for a long time i'm not even sure who would have sort of coined that term but you know in integration just used in a in a sort of psychological context i think this is maybe self-explanatory uh and again as i said harm reduction um also an existing modality around working um working with substance use. So pairing the two together, um, I'm not sure where it necessarily started, but I know we started uh, talking about it um, and abbreviating it and calling it uh, free, PHRI, um, a couple of years ago. And certainly um, some of our colleagues, uh, Elizabeth uh, Nielsen and Amar Gorman, who run uh, Fluence, um, published a paper earlier this year or, or late last year on, on, on the modality it's explicitly in psychedelic harm reduction integration and just all the work that, that is happening on sort of both sides of the spectrum there. Yeah. Okay. So one of the ways I thought we can kind of dive into this whole thing is to just go through um, a sort of prototypical psychedelic experience. Um, and we can talk about where the prep and the harm reduction comes in. We could talk about the actual psychedelic journey and then get into the integration process more deeply. So maybe take us through how that typically happens. A typical psychedelic. Th- yeah. I'm not sure if such a thing exists. <laughs> Dumb question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so sorry, you want to go through the actual experience? Yeah. First? Yeah. There's, there's certain sort of like, typically if, if you, if, if people are following the, conventions to the extent that there are some around doing a therapeutic psychedelic journey my sense is usually it starts with some education collecting information about the compound um, setting oneself up with uh, set and setting with intentions maybe a guide etc any any kind of basic guidelines about how to do that and maybe even the the legalities at this point because it's still not legal and yet there's so much evidence about the possible the potential health benefits sure i mean it's it's pretty broad right and there's there's a lot of variables there what uh what substance are medicine are we talking about um what dose are we talking about um what is the person's uh you know mental health profile did they have a trauma history what's their intention i mean the first the first question i would always have is like what 
what are you hoping to achieve here? If if someone would approach me in a harm reduction context, um, uh, saying, you know, um, yeah, I'm interested in psilocybin. Um, you know, that's that's really where you start. It's like, what, okay, why? What's wrong? Or you know, or what's right? Right. Um, and sort of building building from there. So uh, yeah, like I, I think safety um, is uh, really a primary consideration. Uh, continues to be. It's interesting because you know on there's an interesting tension to balance right now on the psychedelic space because the fact is most of these substances are pretty safe from a physiological perspective. Uh, certainly compared to a lot of other substances, um, recreational or prescribed that are consumed regularly by a big chunk of the population uh, and pretty safe psychologically as well. It doesn't mean there aren't risks, but I think balancing the narrative, like that narrative with, with ensuring that people are kind of just, you know, take a few steps uh, going into the experience um, is, is an important one. Yeah. So yeah. Um, what kind of dose are we talking about? Um, if it's a higher, you know, is there, is there previous experience at all or is this entirely new for someone? If there is previous experience, how long ago, how long ago was it? Um, what kinds of experiences were had then? Um, what kind of supports do people have in their, in their life? So is there something, is there an issue they're really hoping to address and what, it, like, what is that issue connected to? Is it connected to a relationship? Is it connected to work? Is it connected to one's inner spiritual life? Or is it an explicit kind of clinical condition? Um, depression, anxiety, addiction, uh, OCD, eating disorder, um, all these kinds of ways that, um, you know, difficulties show up and pain shows up in, in people's lives. Um, yeah. And then from there, you know, the, every answer then will, de- will yield right. a different set of sort of questions. You want to kind of go down. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. The, these are the considerations that would come up in a meeting with a free therapist or coach, mm-hmm. uh, PHRI. <laughs> um, so just sort of addressing all these things. And of course, I think, um, to be responsible here, we would say that we're not condoning illegal activity. Um, but, and this really is one of the core pieces of the harm reduction framework, which is to say the information's out there, the potential for healing and, and personal growth and all that is very, very powerful. People are finding these substances on their own and rather than drive the stuff underground and put people at risk, we are doing our best to help them get educated and make the best decisions for themselves. And that's really, uh, you know, a good chunk of what the free program is about. That's right. I mean, the the, the context there around harm reduction is that you're not uh, prescribing or suggesting or encourage anything, but you're not necessarily discouraging it either. You know, the same way as if you were a therapist working with someone who had a substance use issue, um, you wouldn't refuse treatment because they have a, a problem with, um, with cocaine or something. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. So I'm noticing you're not making very like hard and fast prescriptions. People should be taking this amount of MDMA and they should be setting this kind of intention and blah, blah, blah. So, so it's, it's a process. Um, it's useful to talk to someone about it, work out these things. And you sort of um, identified some considerations or questions to kind of uh, sure. get into uh, in the prep phase. Yeah. And, you know, it is it like the harm reduction and the preparation piece really is more uh, more kind of educational. Right. There is information out there uh, based on all the, the clinical trials and research around dosage. It's like, well, you know, if I was going to take a dose of MDMA with my partner, right, to to work on our relationship or our marriage, like 
know, what, what would that be? Like, well, in, you know, in clinical trials, um, you know, this is the dose that's being used and, and, you know, you can share that kind of information. It's not, it's not necessarily uh, prescriptive, but if there's data out there that can help someone, you know, reduce a risk and maximize a potential benefit, then why would we not share that? Totally. So that's kind of the preparation phase. Um, I, I would think that there's something around intentions. Maybe you mentioned that, but can you say a little bit more about the process of setting intentions and why it's relevant? Yeah, well, I, you have to have an idea of where you want to go. Uh, I think one of the really interesting things about um, psychedelics, psychedelic experiences, um, non-ordinary states in general is they, you know, they open things up and they create opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. They're not necessarily going to give you the end point and do all of the, the work, mm-hmm. right? So um, you need a bit of a direction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, uh, it's, it's, exciting to have that opportunity right to have that kind of freedom but um if you create that freedom without a plan you could be a little bit vulnerable Mm -hmm. or you know privy to going down some avenue that you don't isn't going to be particularly uh helpful so that's really what an intention is and it's important to distinguish um an intention from an expectation right um i think sometimes people go into that as like well you know my intention with this experience is to heal all of my heal all of my trauma, and that can be okay. But but having checking kind of the the emotional sort of like link to that intention, how you're sort of thinking about it, like is it an aspiration? Is it something that you you know you have a really earnest um, intent and motivation to move towards and work on? Or is it something you hope you're going to get for free? Mm. You know, um, F R E. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it does. It takes it takes work. Yeah. Okay. So at the risk of, you know, losing our thread here, because um, you know, I want to go a little deeper into that. Uh, hopefully, I can steer us back on track here. But it's interesting because people, you know, a lot of people are hearing about psychedelics because of the clinical trials. And the clinical trials sound like your typical drug discovery process. There's a new medication for mental health issues and you take a medication and then something happens in the middle there. And then, you know, significant number of people feel better, like two thirds of people no longer meet criteria for PTSD, for for example. So what is it about the psychedelic experience that... Um, does require this direction um, that does require integration. Like what's going on that it's not as simple of like a simple thing as just like tweaking some knobs in your brain chemistry. So you feel better. This thing about what is this thing about like creating some freedom or we talk about psychedelics as a catalyst. What the hell does all that mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good, <laughs> good question. Well, um, I would say that it, it means that the mind and the body are not separate and that the uh, even the mind and body of one individual are not is not really separate from other individuals and relationships that they're in Mm -hmm. and that those collections of relationships are not separate from communities which are not separate from larger kind of ecosystems and that you know forgive the cliche but that we're all connected Mm -hmm. i mean maybe that's maybe a kind of an obtuse way to answer (laughs) to answer your question but um, you know, it, things are not these little dis- discrete mm. 
isolated machines that you can go in and yes. tweak a knob and then you leave it and right. it's like everything is connected to everything okay. else somehow so it it takes so you so let me back up for a second yes um <clears throat> maybe this is a good way to sort of approach like what i see happening in the in the psychedelic uh experience and yeah it can be useful to frame it in terms of thinking about why a lot of people do do come to it um who are you know looking for relief right the clinical trials are yes. exploring how to um how to heal or solve like obvious issues or or problems right mm -hmm. that are like i mentioned before things like depression anxiety ptsd mm -hmm. right so one of the ways to think about a lot of those issues and you know would not not be the first to sort of to point this out uh, is to conceive of them as kind of forms of like rigidity mm -hmm. or sort of like a mental like a, fi a fixated way of viewing and relating to to the world right so you're kind of stuck in a pretty narrow box and feel a little trapped mm -hmm. right so with depression, you are kind of like ruminating and stuck in, in a particular narrative, something that's happened to you in the, in the past or some kind of like current situation. Don't feel like there's any way out. Addiction, similarly, right? Like repeating the same, kind of like the same behaviors, um, even though it's sort of increasingly doing damage to your life or in a way that, you know, that is problematic for you. So all of these kind of afflictions have that similar flavor um and i'm not a neuroscientist but you know the the as far as i understand the the kind of neurological uh associations with these conditions kind of tend to tend to reflect that right like, i'll just say yeah. we've had judson brewer on the podcast right. and he's done an amazing job of articulating the neurobiological processes behind addictions to substances like cigarettes or or cocaine or even food yeah. and also that similar mechanisms are in place um, accounting for internalizing problems like anxiety and mood pro uh, anxiety and mood problems right. um, it's all this uh, stickiness or this tendency to um, to to lock into patterns some of which um, are unhealthy and we just get stuck in these feedback loops. Right. So there is a tendency f in our brain to sort of like fade into order and sometimes too much order of some kind. Correct. So too much order, right? Yeah. Yeah. Too much, too much structure, um, too narrow. Mm -hmm. um, so what psychedelics do um, or can do um, and you know, it's and worth mentioning not just psychedelics, but other altered or non-ordinary states mm -hmm. of consciousness mm -hmm. that can be, you know, achieved by various other means. We could talk about yeah. some of that a little bit later. Is really open open the system up, right? So they create connections between parts of the brain that don't typically converse, you know, or may not have conversed since early childhood or since a traumatic experience, for example, right? So things get when we're when we're stuck or things are narrow things have been really compartmentalized yeah. in our internal system yeah. psychedelics just open that system up they don't necessarily rewire and fix the system right, right? because what does fix mean like um is do we have an actual like conventional sense of like this is healthy this is well this is fixed this is in balance and this is unwell it's easier it's easier to say okay well this is unwell because i'm i'm suffering this yeah. hurts right yeah. but even even then there's there's forms of suffering that you know may just be part of 
the, our human experience and that can't really be quote unquote fixed, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it's another nuance there that maybe we could go into later. But yeah, um, yeah so psychedelics really open this system up and really create an create the opportunity for new connections to be made, yeah. for being able to see things in new ways, yeah. see solutions to problems that didn't seem to be there before. And yeah, so that's that's really the that's what we're talking about. We're sort of opening the system up, but that's just kind of the the start, right? Then it's like once the system is opened up, yeah. then what then what do you do? I love the fact that now opening the system up uh, is not just a metaphor, mm -hmm. right? This thing about like making new connections is not just a metaphor. And I'll refer people to um, the picture that um circulated a lot including placebo and psilocybin yeah. exactly exactly so i think it's robin carhart harris's work that shows um the connections among various brain regions um in a brain that is on placebo and it's there you know a small number of like of connections some of which are quite thick representing um you know a sort of neural highway where a lot of information passes and then a brain that's under the influence of psilocybin where there are very few of those neural highways and tons and tons and tons of like thinner connections uh, between brain regions that haven't been communicating before so right. not just a metaphor this is actually happening in your brain changing the way uh, regions right. in the brain connect to each other so all this potential all this freedom all this flexibility you're you're making me think of like a um uh, a city or a community yes. whose like um, environs and like outer reaches have just been kind of destroyed because there's a couple super highways yes. that have just like been placed in there and the whole like there's this concentrated like downtown core that's like really frenzied and then this like impoverished kind of like outer region and then someone does some um, I don't know progressive uh, remodeling of the uh, of the infrastructure of the of the community and it's like no a lot less cars more bike paths right walking trails and yeah. yeah yeah totally so this is cool I, it i think it um it it opens the um some clarity on this idea that intentions help create some direction and some container for working with all of that flexibility and freedom because it can be overwhelming or chaotic or just not meaningful mm -hmm. which um you know people who've had bad psychedelic experiences or uncomfortable psychedelic experiences can speak to that it just feels very chaotic right well you know and you know this is worth pointing out too is that like the structure and the the quote-unquote rigidity right yes it has utility it comes from right. it comes from somewhere i mean that's how we that we establish ourselves as conscious functional beings relating to one another in a kind of dualistic like you know flesh and blood world right we need that we need that structure too and as we as we grow up and sort of prune various kind of neural pathways okay we, i figured that out i can put that in the automatic system in the background if, I'm, if you're constantly seeing the connection between everything um that's not that's not super useful either, right? So it's just that when those the structures become a little too too rigid and too oppressive, that it's it's worth opening up. But yeah, um, you you know there there's there's utility to that to that structure as well, right? So this sounds like um, a something that you've been talking a lot about. You wrote about it for the Mindspace blog. Um, this idea of not too tight, not too loose. Can you right. articulate that for us? Sure. Yeah. So um, there's a sutra. 
about the Buddha. I think it's called the Sona Sutra. Um, that I don't remember when I sort of like first first heard it or, or, or heard heard some some Buddhist kind of teacher talk about it. Um, but it all it always really stuck out for me, kind of intuitively. Maybe I was you know working music for a long time, so it resonated with that. But there was uh, there was a monk. I think named Sona, who had approached the Buddha. He was like a musician of some kind and played some stringed instrument. It was like something like a lute or something like that, or uh, I, don't, I don't know the, the, the actual sort of term, but, and was having really trouble uh, with his meditation practice and had approached the Buddha for instruction. And the Buddha kind of responded to him saying, well, you're, you're a musician, um, you're instrument. Like what happens, um, what happens when you tune your strings like really, really tight? You know, uh, and he's like, well, you know, the, the, it doesn't sound good. Uh, it's hard to play and you might break a string, you know, uh, it's like, okay, right. So, and what happens if you tune your instrument really, really, really loose? He's like, well, if it's, if it's too loose, you can't get any sound out of it. Like at all, it's just really sloppy. You get, you can't, you can't play. Um, and then he's like, well, well, there you go. Your meditation practice should really, uh, be the same, mm-hmm. you know? not too tight, not too loose. And uh, that always kind of resonated with me just in practicing anything, um, finding, finding balance between that sense of like openness and, and discipline, you know, being, being relaxed, but also being alert. And, you know, in, in a meditation practice or instruction, that's one of the first things a uh, uh, meditation teacher will probably say is like, okay, get into a comfortable position. You want to be you want to be relaxed. You don't want to, you're not working too stringently to get just towards something, you know, um, but you don't want to just like space out and, you know, uh, sit back or whatever. Either. You want to be alert and aware of what's going on. Um, so I, not too tight, not too loose, really, um, as so I was getting more into sort of the psychedelic work and, and uh, seeing the different directions people could go, it just became a really useful frame for me to think about um, how we're working with the mind, um, how we're working with these experiences. There is a lot of emphasis right now on how tight mm. the world is mm. and how tight, you know, uh, folks who, as we were just discussing with various sort of mental health, uh, issues, uh, are, if that, that is a form of kind of mental rigidity and tightness. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons that psychedelics are, are seeing, um, so much attention now, renewed attention. Is because they're they're amazing amazing loosening mechanisms, mm-hmm. right? They can really open the system up, as we said, which is great. But I I also think that uh, that there's a risk there too that is is a little um, underexamined, maybe as a result of potentially being overblown in the '60s and '70s right. when there was this sort of political reaction to what was going on. It's like, oh, we don't want things loosening up and war on drugs and Nixon cracked down on, on all the, you know, and the research shutting down and everything like that. But, um, I do think it's real that, you know, sometimes people will have a taste of healing or have a taste of that opening with a psychedelic experience and be like, great, oh, this is amazing. I can heal myself, you know, or I can, I can become enlightened or I can see what's really going on. Um, and I don't think there's a bottom to that. Right. right? I don't, I, I don't think you're ever going to solve the paradox of being human, like being embodied in this world, right? And having to function in it. And having to function in it. I think the moment of enlightenment is the same as the moment of death and it's the same as kind of madness too. 
right? So, and, you know, obviously there is, there has been, you know, historically talk of that risk of sort of psychosis or something with, with psychedelics. I think, you know, the, the actual risks of that are, are very, very uh, small, but I, I think, and, and I'm not sure it's a super helpful frame. I mean, obviously folks with, um, and clinical trials do the screening and that will be continue to be the case for, you know, medical interventions, et cetera. And, you know, if there is a family history of uh, schizophrenia or psychosis, you know, it's important for people to know that that's something that should be considered. But I think a, a more useful framing just for the, for the, for a wider audience is like, just watch for like what you're, what you're trying to achieve here right. and like, what's, what's useful for you. Right. Like what, where do you want to get to? Um, what are your values? What, what do you value? What about your relationships? What about your family? What about systems in the world? You know, um, if you start to unpack and undo every, uh, every opposition or kind of like every structure uh, without intention, you can find yourself a little bit um, flailing or lost at sea, right? right? Yeah. And that's, that's really where integration comes in. It's, that's really cool. I'll just add one piece, even though you covered it so well. Um, on a bit more of a micro scale, um, I've just seen in like my own uh, free experience as a therapist, as an integration therapist, the sense of like the tremendous relief and inspiration from the release one gets from a psychedelic journey when one is feeling uptight for whatever reason. And then thinking like, wow, this is it. This is what I need to be well. And then I'm going to do that again. And it's like, whoa, 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 that wasn't the same thing, right? I don't feel that same release. It's like, what is this chaotic, you know, ego dissoluting experience that I'm like completely lost in? That's not what happened last time, right? So it gets complex sure. quickly. Sure. But that some for some people, that first release can be um, really powerful and, and like people are going to want to go back to it. Sure. So yeah, I, I love this notion that there's kind of no bottom. And one needs to be really careful. And, you know, again, sort of getting coaching on that or just looking out for it as one is navigating their own uh, psychedelic experiences. There's no there's no bottom and there's no ceiling really either, right? <laughs> this is what I was saying before about um, how contextual this work is. You know, someone may have layers of mm -hmm. trauma or just layers of, of stuff relating to sort of their identity and who they are. And, you know, you have an experience and it's really useful in the moment and you want to go back to it because you think you're going to get the same thing. But hold on, you've just changed your system. Right. Right. So right. have you, what, has that landed? Have you integrated that? Have you like, how has your system reoriented since you've been through that? Yes. And then if you just like, you go and hit it again, you're like, wait, it's like, wait a second. I wasn't, I wasn't done rebuilding the foundation or I wasn't done, you know, it's yeah. like doing a lot of, um, remodeling, uh, at the same time. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. I think I think this is a nice uh, way for us to get back on track to the the original thread. I think we've covered the the psychedelic experience to some extent. Um, we've covered the prep and the and the intention setting. There's the sense that the psychedelics open things up, create degrees of freedom, create potential, etc. And then there's a remodeling phase, which is an interesting metaphor for it. Um, is that to suggest that things, uh, maybe even sort of like the neurochemical balance in our brains and in our ecosystems and whatnot, kind of like tend back towards order 
Um, and the integration process is sort of like guiding that or shaping it in some way. Like take us through, like we've got the opening and then what is the integration process and, and, and where, where does it go? How does it land? Right. Yeah. Good question. So, um, in terms of things tending back to order, um, my inclination there is, yeah, probably. If, you know, <laughs> if you've got if you've got a system that's been like doing the same thing over and over mm-hmm. um, for ten or fifteen years, or it's like this is the behavior, or this is the ha- like this is the habit, this is the uh, this is the automatic pilot doing its thing, um, and maybe you kind of unwind it and everything like that. Um, and there's this you know neuroplastic window where mm-hmm. that tendency doesn't return. But if you if you don't really do anything to harness that, and then you're this individual or this organism or system, then returns to an environment mm-hmm. that is the same as it was before, um, relating to others in the same way as it did before. That the habit is probably still in there somewhere. That sort of that muscle memory or whatever. So tending back to order is seems seems likely to me without knowing again necessarily being able to explain the the uh, neurological kind of um, correlate there. That said, there's a lot that, that can be done to, to harness those, those moments of neuroplasticity or harness those open moments to kind of re- rewire things. And, and, you know, this is where more, I would call them like conventional uh, behavior change therapy, something like CBT, for example, like suddenly has this new utility so whereas someone who may have like been trying to change behavior for a long time and doing CBT with the therapist and like maybe having some success, but kind of getting stuck or maybe not having any at all. And, and, and uh, suddenly there's a real, there's a real window to be able to mm-hmm. use some of those, use some of those tools, right. To, to say, okay, well watch what's happening. Right. Like, do you see that, see that pattern? Are you noticing that thing? It's like, try something different here. Try something different again. Right. So you're really, you're, you're training, you're training the mind, um, to, to move in a new direction. And this isn't, this isn't new either. Right. Um, in terms of pairing a, um, pairing an experiential practice with, um, with a more sort of like cognitive one. So, you know, you go back to like mind training and, or Lojong in, in Tibetan Buddhism, that's like meditation practice. And then those kinds of exercises to watch for, watch for the habits, the behaviors, et cetera. So, you know, uh, therapy is a great example of something that can be done in integration work mm-hmm. uh, is to go in and, okay, the system's been opened up. Now, where do you want to go? What was the thing that was the problem before? What was that problem connected to? Um, what ideas, what relationships, right? What obligations, what values? Yeah. Um, and then how are you going to restructure that? What's the, what's the plan? Mm-hmm. But that's like, that's just one thing. That's like may- maybe a very like obvious thing that you know, people think about uh, integration therapy, that would maybe be the first place and would go is like, okay, well for integration, I'm going to see my therapist or my coach, right? Which I think is a great, a great example. But I, I actually, I think integration work really exists like on a spectrum mm-hmm. of a lot of different practices and that they run from very uh, cognitive on the one end to very experiential uh, on the other. And we could sort of run through some of those if, if you want. And again, this has to do really with the, like where the individual is at, like the context, right? So this is not just, so what's so interesting about this work is like, it, it, it is really important 
for someone to understand where they are or for to, or to, to, to have the support, either peer support or therapist or whoever it is that's got a sense of where someone is landing uh, coming out of these experiences. Mm-hmm. Because what does that mean? Well, what does that mean where they're landing? Well, different people need different things, right? And so you may have you may have someone, for example, that has an experience with psilocybin or LSD and they have a really neat tidy arc, right? They go through uh, through the experience where they maybe have a, a, a rocky kind of come up and reckoning, um, you know, as the as the drug is coming on. And maybe there's some kind of like crisis and some insight and uh, and then an emotional sort of release, a somatic release and a real sense of like relief and a denouement and then calm, lucidity, insight, renewed motivation. Great. I mean, that's kind of like an, maybe an ideal scenario. And it does, it does happen, mm-hmm. right? Where um, folks come out of that and, um, you know, their lives are, are changed. If that, you know, if that happens, great. But someone may also have a, an experience with, you know, ayahuasca or I mean, this can happen with any substance, right? 5-MeO-DMT or, you know, uh, psilocybin and, and just kind of have things blown open and be a kind of a wreck on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it didn't work, mm-hmm. right? That just means there's, there, you're somewhere different in that whole arc and that mm-hmm. whole process. Mm-hmm. So um, people can be at much very different sort of stages mm. of what I'd call that kind of like psychedelic experience integration mm. arc. And into, like really integration is about figuring out, okay, well, well, where are you at? Like what happened? Mm. Where do you want to be? And like, what can we do to facilitate, to facilitate that? Okay. So this is, this is getting a little trippy here in yeah. the sense that <clears throat> I think again, in, in conventional thinking about the psychedelic like treatments that right. we're here about in, um, in the clinical trials and the media and stuff, the assumption is that there's a fairly linear arc. Um, although, you know, let's say the MAPS studies, for example, uh, three session, three dosing sessions with integration in between, um, we all know that you know those dosing sessions aren't linear. It's not linear within the three, within the three um, uh, dosing sessions and integration phases. But um, again, the narrative is. At the end of that, most people um, are healed. Okay, so that there's an arc. What you're saying now is that maybe the arc, um, if there is an arc, a full arc, maybe it plays out over one journey. Maybe it plays over three over three journeys. Maybe it plays out over even longer than that. And so sometimes part of integration is actually going back to a psychedelic experience. Uh, or maybe part of an arc is like staying away from it for a bit. So what exactly is this arc? <laughs> and like, w- how is that playing out? It's like, uh, we're not just talking about, you know, a psychedelic experience anymore. What the hell's going well, on? Well, yeah, maybe it goes on for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's too like, loose, Andrew, it's too like, loose. <laughs> it's like, what, what do you want? Where do you want, where do you want to be? You okay, know, and yeah, and I, I think also like you know you're pointing to the uh, the research or clinical trials. It's like those also like have a very they need to be very explicit mm. and limited for the purposes of you know data collection and validation and like okay this is where we're drawing the line and yes those people meet these requirements. Mm. So, but I'm sure you know you'd, you'd hear that there's folks who have come out of uh, maps at varying levels of betterment or, or wellness, some who could have potentially used more, more mm-hmm. experiential work, um, et cetera. But um, I guess to, 
to get back to your um I, I still feel there's it's like a little bit too loose in the sense that you know like if people want to have intentions and, and yeah. want to like have some sense of like what they're getting themselves into with yeah. a psychedelic journey, it yeah. suddenly got super complicated because like, I just want to try psilocybin or I'm feeling a little bit like, you know, tangled up in something difficult that happened to me two years ago. Right. Now you're saying, well, maybe it's one, maybe it's a lifetime worth of sight. Like what the hell is that? Well, you know, I, I think like, look, we're looking for the best possible outcomes, mm -hmm. right? And setting people up for success. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying, well, it could be amazing and, or it's just going to totally ruin everything. Mm -hmm. I'm saying um, the, the more awareness you can have about sort of like where you're at and mm -hmm. where you want to be, mm -hmm. the easier it'll be to, to kind of identify what kind of tools um, and what kind of integration practices might be helpful uh -huh. for you, right? So, uh, and you can, you can experiment. And so maybe this is like an appropriate time to just like talk about what some of those might be. Yeah, you're like, that's right. I gave an example of like one end of the spectrum in terms of like doing therapy, like doing talk therapy, CBT or whatever, you know. Um, but I, I think on the other end of the spectrum, um, for example, um, you have um, some people might benefit coming out of a psychedelic experience with, you know, touching back in on like some non-ordinary states. So uh, things like breath work or maybe even sort of um, meditation. Non-ordinary states of consciousness, right? Non-ordinary yeah. states of consciousness, yeah. right? So some people may benefit from like, okay, I'm going to actually go back there and tap back into right. some of that experience. Like that can be an integration practice, yeah. right? Um, for others, uh, movement, um, you know, yoga or even just like exercise, running, uh, martial arts, engaging with the body may right. be a practice that could be um, helpful for them. For others, sort of creative, creative practices, journaling, sketching, right could be could be useful and these kind of exist on a spectrum in terms of things that may be grounding or things that may be mm -hmm. or things that may be loosening right tight so so it's not that you're flipping a switch but like there is this kind of idea that like okay the knobs have been turned and now we're kind of like fine fine tuning them and there's a lot of different different tools we can use to do that and um i think it's about like figuring out like well, what resonates with you where are you at what's what's helpful yes right and and a little bit of a little bit of trial and error there yeah, yeah. so yeah. we're not so so it's not so much that like okay where are you, where are you in this arc and did it go right or did it go yeah. wrong what yeah. do you do it's more like no okay let's let's refine it like let's you've you've been through this thing hopefully there is there is some opening there is some context here where you're in a better position than you were before relative to where you want to be what mm -hmm. matters to you um and how can we how can we just make the most of that lay the foundations yes. for other like future work whether or not that involves doing psychedelics again ever at all yeah. right you know one thing that i think might be clarifying here is and, and I, I'm even sort of cringing um, that I'm about to say it and that it's helpful is this notion of the inner healing intelligence. Okay. Um, because I think that's the best we have so far in terms of understanding what this notion of the arc is in the first place. Okay. So, and I'll just really briefly give some context um, and maybe you can speak to how you relate to that metaphor. Um, you know, sometimes people will talk about the analogy to like, if someone goes into the emergency room with a broken arm, um, what the doctors do is just like set the bone and put on a cast and the healing happens in the body. The body knows how to repair a broken bone. And so in principle, the same is true of like a mental or emotional trauma. 
um, the best we can do as um, like humans and as therapists is to set the right conditions and the body um, will heal itself even on a mental or an emotional level. And so there is some, I don't know if it's some kind of intelligence or there's some kind of force or energy or whatever, but there is something driving the system forward. And that is, um, even if it's nonlinear, even if it's painful, there is um, some energy or momentum moving the human mind and body towards healing, towards wholeness or something like that. Um, and so that's, I think, actually a helpful um, mindset even for people to bring into their journeys because there is some meaning or order driving the process at some level. wonder how, that, how, how you relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're referring to obviously this uh, sort of centerpiece of the, the MAPS uh, MDMA for, for PTSD protocol. And um, I, I do believe in a kind of trend towards um, balance. I think uh, things get more complex when you're talking about um, uh, psychological or uh, mental well-being um, because it's also where we connect to others, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So I, I do think there, there's a sense that Yes, you can. You can kind of trust that if you have that intention and you have these tools and you have that support, that over time you may kind of you probably come into a better a better place or a less un, unwell place. And let me just yeah. say, um, I don't think we need psychedelics to to flesh out this metaphor of the inner healing intelligence because as therapists we see it all the time. People want to get better. People are motivated. There are things getting in the way, but. Um, and in many cases, people know, have an intuition about what they need. Same with, with mindfulness meditation. Um, uh, and, and the inner healing intelligence type of framing comes up in, you know, things like mindfulness-based stress reduction as well. It's like create space for yourself and, and things emerge. Uh, clarity emerges and that clarity, you know, what is it? Um, clear vision leads to wise action kind of thing. So create space for yourself um, and your body um, and uh, clarity will emerge on how to proceed towards uh, higher states of wellness or, or wisdom or insight or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Um, I do think that coming, coming back to my point before the, the difference here is that, you know, how we define well-being mm -hmm. can be more challenging if you're thinking about it in that um, emotional or psychological context versus in a kind of broken bone kind of way. Okay. Um, because I think it's really, uh, it's really wrapped up in relationship and right. in family and in community. So it's, it's hard to ice, like, you know, an individual may kind of go through this process who's sort of suffered and, and had issues related to I don't know, childhood trauma or, you know, family issues, whatever it is. Um, may come through that and uh, heal something, right? And then they may, you know, go come back into the world and, and be faced with relationships that um, have not had that same experience, mm -hmm. right? And that kind of challenge that balance or well-being and you're kind of, you're faced with this, um, the prospect of either then like sharing that wisdom or sharing that healing and, and being able to hold and facilitate the well-being of others 
whom you care about or who you're connected to mm-hmm. or, or, or in the other direction being like not being able to and kind of, um, regressing. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, I do think there's an, an inner healing intelligence there, but I don't think it can just exist in isolation in, you know, inside. Sure. Like we're, we're connected. So this is, um, you know, this can get really abstract and spiritual quickly mm-hmm. because, what are we healing, right? And I'm not into abstract spiritual stuff. Right, not at all, right? <laughs> um, who or what exactly are we healing, right? So someone someone uh, goes through MDMA, assisted psychotherapy for PTSD, and, you know, builds these very strong relationships with the therapist or therapists providing the treatment. Um, but, you know, are they... Uh, if they're going back into trauma, a traumatizing environment, maybe the healing involves healing that environment as well. And then for that environment to be healed, what else do we need to cover? And uh, what exactly is this psychedelic healing project we're engaged in? Um, and yet, it does seem to be fitting into a traditional um, kind of drug discovery, you know, biomedical um, health science framework right it is in principle going to arrive as a treatment for these things and maybe that's enough maybe maybe it's a good enough fit that it is actually going to help people and we don't we don't need to heal the world um to for people to benefit from these treatments i think all of those can coexist Mm -hmm. right i think the biomedical model is doing what it does and it's sort of existing paradigm Mm -hmm. and system and uh it's slow moving um but more people are getting access you know ketamine assisted psychotherapy is is um is reaching more folks and you know hopefully mdma and psilocybin will follow and there'll be programs where people can get the treatment that they need Mm -hmm. but it's it's far from you know healing healing the world um and yeah there's a certain hubris to that as as well Mm -hmm. right um i do think that's one reason that like a harm reduction integration programs are important because in the meantime people are accessing yes these medicines themselves and you know ayahuasca peyote psilocybin sort of like traditional indigenous use various sort of populations around the world like they've been baked into communal uh healing processes for a very long time and even outside of that context more folks are you know accessing psilocybin increasingly you know increasingly decriminalized and you know seeing something similar happening with it um in canada has happened with cannabis you know and um uh, i think that's important i think it's important um so i think all of those things can can coexist uh, and and should and that the education around it is why it's what the education around it becomes kind of so so important in in term and you know what like getting back to the other point about um maybe we should like feel like a a family or like i I think that's i think it's very true like and there there has been you know work mdma work like like pre uh pre-criminalization um like family therapy with with mdma mm-hmm. and just like group work in general like healing doesn't yes. healing doesn't happen and the couples the, the research on the couples therapy that's yep. happening right now absolutely so um and, and then you can see very quickly then like from there how people start to get ambitious and start being like well maybe we can like it's true we're connected and 
the, you know, I'm in pain because, you know, my parents were in pain or because my family's like hurt. My family's hurt because of this community issue and this entire community or this, you know, entire population is hurt because of this colonial issue of like, you know, and it's like, that's real. Um, And the question then is like, you, you see the potential to sort of like, well, for one thing, you know, and this is, there's a very big thrust to this in the psychedelic community is like, a lot of the source of this stuff comes from these systemic things, right? What does that mean? Well, I mean, you can't isolate, for example, all of this like pain with respect to the indigenous populations in Canada from genocide, right? And like the just the, the, the wide scale trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, that trickles down, you know, generation to generation and manifests in different ways. And then you see, you know, it's an individual on the street who's, you know, suffering from alcoholism. It's like, well, how do we treat, how do we treat this person? Right. right? So of course, like there's this ambition to address these systemic mm-hmm. issues. Um, and it's understandable that folks see a lot of potential for psychedelics to do this. And yet at the same time, it's like, we're trying, we're, we're trying to get from, treating an individual to like, okay, can we treat a fa- can we treat a family? Right. How is, what does that look like? Right. And then it's like, okay, how do we treat a whole, you know, that's not, that's not viable. So I think, I think the sort of just systemic analysis of what's, what's going on and, and is, and, and politically is just like, is important. Yeah. I'm not sure that's the, the, like psychedelics can, can, can do that. But, you know, that's also where you get the, the old cliche of putting like LSD in the water, which is, um, didn't work out so well. Well, you know, not a, not a, not a great idea. So yeah, I think, I think all of those, I think all of those threads can, can coexist and complement one another. I think a nice place to sort of get back on, on our thread here is the fact that the free program that we have is going to be offering groups Okay, to come back to this yeah. range of tools for integration. Yeah. And I th- maybe you've already covered it, but I don't know if there's more to say about why we're offering groups and what, what the potential is. Well, I mean, like I said before, like I don't think healing happens mm-hmm. in a vacuum. I think um, there's, a lot, there's a lot that can be done with group peer support for well-being. I mean, we know this from, from mindfulness programs. Mm-hmm. It's like people need feel connected to one another mm-hmm. and they can learn from one another it's more accessible so you can get like you can amplify the sort of the therapeutic uh benefit of psychedelic experiences and of of you know um psychoeducation and and therapy in general by connecting people to a group who are going to going through the same thing so if you can amplify the efficacy and you can reach more people and make it more accessible why why wouldn't you you know I mean, that's, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of the simple, the simple answer there. What about how fragile and vulnerable people can be coming out of a psychedelic experience? And then you're throwing into a room with like eight, 12, 15 other people. And it's like, I don't know if I can handle all that. Sure. Yeah. Stimulation, all that, you know, preoccupation with being judged or, you know, who are these people? And yeah. Um, well, you know, I think that. That also depends on who's who's facilitating. So who's mm-hmm. you know who's holding the, the space. And, you know that that term is kind of a little a little overused uh, <laughs> in the psychedelic world, but it, you know it holds it holds some relevance relevance sometimes. It's like 
how is the how is communication being facilitated? What are the what are the ground rules? You know, but I think like this gets back to a not too tight, not too loose thing where it's like, in order to be connected, you need to have a certain amount of vulnerability, right? So you gotta mm-hmm. let you gotta you let the the walls down, mm-hmm. you know. And there's there's it's hard, mm-hmm. it's hard to do that, but th- there's there's it's a risk reward thing, right? Sometimes you need to put walls up like that's what you know boundaries are for everyone's all about like i need my like establishing my boundaries like great you need to do that you need to have those there for you to feel safe you know what you need awesome okay so you so maybe groups aren't for everyone Mm -hmm. right or maybe there's someone in the group that's that triggers you and it doesn't like how do you how do you sort of navigate that situation but at the same time it's like if you can let some walls down Right, you can be vulnerable. That's that's the window for connection. Mm-hmm. And then then you have to reckon with like, okay, I'm letting someone in, and someone else is letting me in. Mm-hmm. So that can get messy, mm-hmm. right? But if we can hold that, we can be stronger. Right. And that's the same, you know, same thing in the brain. <laughs> same thing when you're letting those 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 walls down and letting those places connect that have been compartmentalized because of because of trauma or whatever. I want to come back to maybe we can call it like integration therapy. And by that, I mean someone gets like really blown open by a psychedelic experience. Maybe they're, maybe they took too high a dose. Maybe their set and setting wasn't adequately addressed. Maybe it was all perfect, but it was just like, you know, the mushroom gave them what they needed, which was to get blown open or whatever that means. Mm-hmm. And they come out of there just feeling really raw, really fragile. Um, and so you did talk about different tools that are, you know, that they can avail themselves of. But I wonder how you just think about or, or how you would talk to someone who really needs to sort of get back um, to get some of those walls back or to get back to a more functional place when they're feeling really fragile? Yeah, good question. Well, I mean, I think time is just one of them, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. So someone may need to get those walls back, but you can't necessarily force them back into Mm -hmm. shape, Mm -hmm. right? So the most important thing would be just to ensure that they're supported and have access, right? Mm -hmm. So this is where integration can can be quite different than um, conventional like therapy, yep. you know, when someone goes through the MAPS protocol and coming out of, you know, an, an MDMA experience, the therapists are basically on call right. and available right. as needed um, as they're kind of reassembling. Right. So that kind of needs to be there, mm-hmm. right? Even for people doing it recreationally, the potential t- for the need to be rebuilt is still there. Yeah, and and maybe that's not a therapist. Maybe it's a maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, that's why having some doing some preparation, having some space on the other side is important. Yes. If you've got to go right back into a big presentation at work mm-hmm. or a big family event, mm-hmm. or you know what I mean, like that can be mm-hmm. that can be hard mm-hmm. for sure. So, but you know, getting back to that kind of inner healing intelligence, I think it also kind of it comes in the. It, goes in the other direction too. It's like, don't, you know, your ego and your, your son of system will start to build something back up. Mm-hmm. And if you are feeling really raw, you know, maybe, maybe what's needed is to feel 
really raw for a few days yeah. and to have that held and validated yeah. by by someone else or, or or you know community or family or yeah. whatever it is i i i'm still a little dissatisfied by of course you are <laughs> <laughs> but by some of the language here and and it might just be that you've seen uh, enough variety that to really speak to it in its essence you have to stay abstract because it, it like it's so much depends on the person and the context and all this kind of stuff but you know, one of the patterns I've seen is just how disorienting it can be in a, on a psychedelic journey when one's, you know, uh, conventional points of reference fall away. Mm -hmm. And that could be just like my five senses don't work for the, you know, anymore. And will I ever get them back? I can't trust where, you know, what I'm seeing or, or like my senses are like, who am I? Uh, you know, some kind of like ego dissolution experience where, I don't know who I am. I don't know where I am. Very, very destabilizing. Right. Or just encountering, you know, like seeing something, a memory or uh, an insight into something that's been going on in, in one's life that is like really hard to see and hold. Um, all these things can make someone, yeah, take away their, their, the, the reference points and the guideposts in their life that keep them functioning. Maybe it's the sort of order piece that we we're talking about before. So yes, uh, time is, you know, um, there's something about the sort of like the ego and the sense of order does crawl its way back in over time. Um, but losing one's sense of self and one's orientation in life uh, can make people suffer a lot, right? And so just what are your thoughts on, on, on finding those points of reference again, or those, those directions? Well, I mean, there's, there's two threads or two ways I kind of want to answer this sort of set of questions. I mean, one, just to immediately respond to that is like, in some ways that's, that's a feature, not a bug, mm -hmm. right? If someone is going mm -hmm. into this, looking to lose a certain part or to integrate a, reintegrate a certain part that's been kind of isolated from the rest, like, um, that's what they're going for. Um, so that's where kind of the preparation, uh, the intention setting comes in. We're having a sense of like, okay, what are the values? What are the relationships that are important? And then, of course, you know, you may discover something along the way that 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 shifts that. But uh, I guess the, the question is like, what are the like, what are the tools, or how do you support someone support someone through that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not obvious. I think that. Um, trying to work through i mean do, this is where doing some of that values-based uh work is is really interesting so i know you know the uh, psilocybin uh protocols that uh use a, an acceptance commitment therapy uh model for for folks can be can be a helpful sort of way to look at it so anything that is going to connect people to um or reconnect them to you know how they see the world how they want to see the world and uh, the folks around them um is relevant there. I think the other thing to say to sort of speak to the earlier part of the question is, you know, there are, it is possible to kind of like get things a little bit more fragmented. You're sort of alluding to like my senses are kind of like messed up and I'm um, just reminded of some of the, the narratives like coming out of the, the mindfulness space and the work of like Willoughby Britton and, and her partner Jared Lind all around sort of these adverse, adverse experiences and sort of intense meditation. Um, you know, there's another article I think that was published this week by a, an MBSR teacher, a mindfulness practitioner that had like a crack up on, on retreat that really kind of de destabilized them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think, you know, 
same could happen, can happen with psychedelics, anything that's really sort of um, going deep into the non-ordinary states can, um, yeah, things can get, things can get shaken up. Um, and there are tools or there are sort of like support networks out there for folks. And I think will be written cheetah house is a, is a good, um, reference for folks who may be, um, maybe wanting to look for some, some resources there. But I, I, to me, like the, the, the grounding piece there is kind of, is time and and support from from folks who kind of like understand where you're at who you were mm-hmm. <laughs> who you want to be mm-hmm. um and uh and and letting things kind of reemerge. that people do tend to come back to come back to baseline um but again this is this is why having a plan and having that kind of support is important mm-hmm. um you know and i think it's worth saying that most people don't have those mm-hmm. experiences mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll say it's been, I've learned, I think, over the years that people underestimate how disruptive um, psychedelic experiences can be in the sense that, yes, they can be healing, but they sort of break things down before um, anything gets built back up in a new and better way. Um, and so people need to be informed um, that of that disruption. And, you know, it might last a few hours, it might last a few weeks, uh, but it's going to break things down before things get built back up again. Or it might not. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't, you know. Sometimes, you know, they all have a... Um, sometimes people have fun experiences and feel very similar the next day, too. I think it's just, just worth highlighting that that's also possible, you know. Okay, so number of references to mindfulness. Um, we're both MBSR teachers, um, and I think it's a big part of how I and I suspect you approach um, integration, and I, I would say even navigating psychedelic experiences. How do you think about sort of the marriage of these two kind of lineages and these two tools? Um, there is a kind of wisdom in the psychedelic community around like you know principles and and tools for experiencing things i think for example um you know this sort of basic principle like if something shows up in your experience or when you're on a psychedelic it's important to try to approach or at least be with that experience um develop a sense of curiosity and, and interest in it as opposed to resisting it, right? Which, of course, will sound very familiar to anybody that's, um, you know, done any kind of meditation or mindfulness program. So, yeah, maybe that as a launching point. How do you think about these two uh, these two different approaches? Sure. Well, you know, I, I think they've kind of coexisted, certainly in kind of the West, for lack of a better term, since the since the sixties. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the, the sort of pioneers or leaders of, uh, what's become sort of the, the mindfulness community, um, certainly in North America where a number of them were also, uh, exposed to psychedelics, LSD, certainly on the West coast in the, in the sixties and in seventies. I think that they've sort of informed one another through the years, uh, to a certain extent, but I also, um, it's interesting. I, I also think there's still a lot that can be bridged 
Um, and that, you know, to the extent that mindfulness has become sometimes a bit of a watered down buzzword and really underestimated mm-hmm. and misunderstood in terms of like just how detailed it can be as a practice and just how just how nuanced and, and thorough it is in terms of what we're actually what we're actually talking about and, you know, what we teach in MBSR, um, both as as practitioners and also as facilitators, you know, thinking about inquiry really breaking like breaking down our like understanding the 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 nervous system the sort of the somatic awareness um that's included in in that tradition i i think there's still more to more to like that um that psychedelic therapy and psychedelic movement can still learn more and draw more from like really what's been developed um in the mindfulness world um, even in, in more recent years, I think some of the work that, that our colleague, uh, Patricia Rockman and Susan Woods have done is, is just really amazing and like sort of moving that lineage and tradition forward, um, and is, is worth investigating. And similarly, I think, you know, psychedelics are just like an, an incredible tool to, to, uh, to facilitate what, you know, the, the course of it's kind of like education and practice that, that someone might embark on in, a, in an MBSR program. I think you've, you've referenced before can you imagine doing an mbsr and on the on the retreat weekend having a psychedelic experience um and and how that could transform uh that protocol so um yeah certainly i mean there's there's a lot you'll hear uh, in any kind of conventional sort of talk of like how to work with um uh how to work with the psychedelic experience how to sort of how to na- how to both navigate one and integrate one and like mindfulness is is all over that, but yeah, I think there's there's lots there that can that can still be um, fleshed out. I'd like to uh, linger there for a minute. Yeah. Uh, I want to flesh out. You know, you, you mentioned inquiry. You men- mentioned Pat and Susan. Yeah. Um, what is inquiry, and uh, and how does it work in a mindfulness context, and why is it relevant for a psychedelic experience sure. or psychedelic integration? Yeah, putting putting me on the spot here. I hope I hope don't, yep. don't disappoint Pat. Yeah, right. She'll be <laughs> listening. A little bit. I've been so focused on my uh, my psychedelic practice. <laughs> I feel like my MBSR is getting a little getting a little rusty. Yeah. No, well, it's it's a way that a facilitator or you know someone who's working with uh, like a practitioner in the space um, can inquire or can like tease out mm-hmm. someone's experience without le- without leading in any way mm-hmm. right so it's being very uh very non-judgmental very curious and helping someone really break down and track mm-hmm. their their uh their experience of, of of like mindfulness practice or, or meditation experience or just like awareness of what's happening in my body what's happening emotionally what's happening in my mind um so inquiries like it's a practice itself um that has to be sort of like very in tune not looking to get somewhere um so just very very simple questions that then that then build but it it, it's so that the 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 practitioner uh in question um can really come to that awareness themselves. Like it's, it's, this is the person navigating the psychedelic journey. Yeah. Right. Or practicing mindfulness. Right. Right. So, so the, the sitter, the guide or the integration therapist or coach or whatever can practice this framework or this, this skill of inquiry, um, helping someone, like articulate and understand what they've experienced. 
and the 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 sitter or the coach or whatever is kind of embodying a certain orientation to the to that person's experience so that they can come to it they can arrive at clarity and meaning on their own terms um, and that I think what's cool about it is that it sort of mirrors what mindful awareness is sort of internally which I think is also unbelievably valuable um, on in a psychedelic experience insofar as if one has the skill to uh, and you know the wherewithal assuming you know the the drugs have not completely destroyed your sense of self but the sense of like okay my attention is really drawn over here and as i'm attending over here there's a lot of thoughts those are those thoughts and maybe um these are interesting thoughts and i want to kind of like see where they take me and then while i'm attending to these thoughts what's happening in my body and what is that telling me and is there some sort of like feeling tone or like emotion present i'm doing that and just like observing this whole unfolding in a way that's getting out of the way um, but it is fully present to like um, really uh, to, to create the potential for integration down the road so this like as you i think you said like tracking of these different levels of experience thoughts emotions body sensations etc action tendencies um, part of what can be really useful about that when an experience is difficult is to say oh i'm thinking my, you know, the reliability of my senses will never come back. I'm in this permanent state. This is my brain on drugs, whatever. Um, and it's like, oh, okay. I, I'm noticing that this, like this thought train is leaving the station and it's really uncomfortable. It's like, what, what else is going on here? Creating space around that experience. So um, as a navigational tool, I think it's just unbelievably valuable. Um, and then if one is able to navigate in that way, um, it just makes a much richer experience on the other end. Um, the other thing I'll say is sometimes a psychedelic experience can be really informative, can be really valuable. You sort of like opened up this neuroplastic window for a certain period of time. And like, it's kind of heavy. You don't want to do that every day. So you have this like limited time to have these experiences and learn or grow from them. And you want to, if you can, um, be awake and present and sort of like remember your intentions and your values and where you want to be. And so maybe it's a navigation tool again, but it's about like getting value out of this this open window, yeah. this this potential. I don't know if any of that resonates yeah, with I you. Yeah, I mean, I think what, what comes to mind for me is that if you are practicing that, you're practicing that mindful awareness, mm -hmm. that that tracking, and that sort of parsing of your yes. experience, and your even like awareness of your your nervous system and your reactivity. Mm -hmm. All of those things that are going on mm -hmm. in that window, mm -hmm. where there's just a lot more room. Yeah, there's a lot more space. So in, in in a mindfulness practice, we're trying to create that space in meditation with breath and slowing down, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm -hmm. Psychedelics kind of off will often offer that space mm -hmm. up, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you're then practicing that in that space, it's it's a lot more likely that it can sort of take take root, right? Mm. It's like I remember wow. what it's like to have yes. the space. It's like now I'm tracking my experience. I can see my I'm seeing the thoughts, I'm feeling the thing going on in my body, the emotions happening over here, and there's a lot more room. So when we talk about the circle of awareness in, in MBSR, right? So there's a ton of space there mm -hmm. to be able to parse that. If you're doing that in the experience, mm -hmm then in terms of integration yes. or in terms of that taking root, 
you come out of the experience and then you're back in your life and you're in an environment or in a situation, a thing that would normally trigger you mm -hmm. or that would send you into some sort of automatic pilot reactivity mode um, that doesn't serve you, right? And lead to some maladaptive coping or whatever it is. Suddenly you're like, oh, I remember. Like, I know how to track this. I see what's going on. And that gap that we want to create to be able to sort of change the change our behavior mm -hmm. and move toward the thing that, that we know is more beneficial becomes much more possible. Yeah. So it's a really, it's a marriage kind of made in heaven. Yeah. Or hell. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the psychedelic elders and Humphrey Osman and all the sucks. We like <laughs> heaven or hell, yeah. both possible. <laughs> I wonder if we can do one more thing here on the mindfulness piece. Okay which is um, you mentioned earlier that there's something that, that we've both seen um, indicating that, and I, I don't want to be disrespectful in any way, but just what's been showing up for us, the sense of like not a full, um, a full integration of mindfulness practice or a full understanding of how mindfulness can be useful in a psychedelic experience uh, that we've seen in the psychedelic community. And so um, how do you, again, sort of typically or, or, or generally, how do you see mindfulness showing up in the psychedelics community? What is being missed? And what do you think um, could be, what aspect of the marriage could be reinforced a little bit more? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I'm not sure. Um, I, I think really inquiry and yeah. what I was just pointing to is, yeah. is one of the first ones and particularly in terms of facilitate, like for the facilitators in terms, yeah. in terms of facilitating, um, you know, there is this sense, you know, to a lot of talk about like having a non, non-directive approach, um, in, in, uh, in psychedelic therapy and, and facilitation. But I, I just think there is a lot of great work that's been done around just, just how nuanced that is and how much of a, a yes. skill, a skill it really is. Um, so and how much of a practice, like, how much of a practice it is. Um, for like the, the therapist training. Yeah. There, there's, there's an opportunity there. Yeah. I'll throw something out at you, something else out at you. Tell me, you know, how this lands with you. My perception is that mindfulness is often thrown in as like a regulating tool. Mm -hmm. It's like, do some breathing, you know, or like a grounding tool. Notice your body, um, you know, see if you can kind of like settle back in so we can, right. you know, go back to whatever is that we were doing a little bit more focused and centered and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And while mindfulness can be a powerful grounding and regulating tool, that's kind of not the point. Yeah. Right. And I'm much more interested in the capacity that a mindfulness practice creates for being with yes. difficult experiences. Yeah. And maybe if one is triggered as a therapist yeah. or as a voyager yeah. or journey or whatever, yeah. um, having more capacity to be with whatever is showing up yeah. is kind of a superpower mm -hmm. um, for all of this work. Mm -hmm. I wonder how that uh, lands yeah. with you. And I think in this case, um, it's not so much that that isn't present in the uh in psychedelic community yeah. or in training i think it's just that that often the connection isn't made right. that folks don't realize that that's one of the things we're talking about you know grounding can be important but that's again that's not really mindfulness practice it's mindfulness is like being with yes. what's happening yeah. and looking for the edges of the experience looking for the resistance looking for mm -hmm. the attachment to it and and creating space to get kind of get into those Get into those weeds and figure out how to how to work with them. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think a lot of I think really the cases folks don't often who don't kind of have that background or that 
that education, MBSR or what have you, um, just don't know that that's kind of what we're talking. That's kind of what we're talking about. But but I do think you know that is one of the first things that you'll sort of that any good sort of facilitator um, will will encourage you to do is mm-hmm. you know whatever whatever's coming up, like be with it, see see what's yeah. there. Um, mm-hmm. Your resistance is. Like working with that, working with that resistance, finding the edges of it, um, finding right. finding the place where you can actually let the wall, let those walls down, right. let it in, let it come up. Um, I wonder, just to kind of like make the finer point here, what's so bad about resistance, and why is it actually valuable to have the capacity to be with and turn toward in a psychedelic context? I mean, good question. You know, I think I think resistance is another way to talk about those walls or those mm-hmm. those those boundaries or those um, structures. Maybe nothing, but if someone is is really suffering mm-hmm. um, or struggling, and in uh, in a psychedelic experience or in an altered state, there is something coming up, like in the body or from the nervous system, right? Or that um, feels like it's internal. That feels like some kind of threat or something that we need to resist. Mm-hmm. If you want to figure out what's going on or get to the other side of that suffering, it might be a good idea to investigate mm-hmm. that resistance. Mm-hmm. And it's not that there's necessarily something wrong. Like so often, you know, what might happen is that there's this, there is this fear or is this resistance to this thing that has been packaged away um and that getting to that creating enough space or getting to that point where the resistance is actually dropped it's not so terrible on the other side Mm -hmm. it might be hard but it might be incredibly liberating and as well my assumption about that and tell me if you disagree is that uh and we should actually talk about bad trips so i'm glad this came up but like what people colloquially know, uh, call or know as a bad trip is often um, a resistance to letting the experience unfold. So a capacity, to be, a capacity to be with whatever's showing up in a psychedelic experience is a nice protective tool uh, to avoid a really harrowing ordeal. Um, even if, and you can speak to this, even if a harrowing ordeal it might be exactly what the person needs. Sure, sure. yeah. Well, you know, I'm not I'm not the only one to sort of to to say this, but I don't I don't like labeling trips as good or bad. You know, I think uh, more helpful is like uh, pleasant or blissful versus challenging. Um, uh, on the one hand, I think pleasant trips can be therapeutic and beneficial. I think challenging trips can be therapeutic and beneficial. I think pleasant trips can be not so helpful or beneficial. And I think challenging ones can also be not so pleasant or beneficial, right? Like there's like at least four variables there. <laughs> and, for, and usually it, any, usually a psychedelic experience contains a little bit of all of that, yep. right? Um, so, I mean, that's really how I'd sort of frame that. But certainly, yes, I think that's like a, a starting point for someone who's coming at this, maybe with not a lot of context, who's like worried about a bad trip, quote unquote, um, and, and just letting them understand that, hey, the challenge is related to the resistance and building relationship with that resistance may actually yield an outcome 
that is really beneficial. Um, and then obviously, um, uh, integration is there on the other side to help make that be the case. Yeah. Okay. Taking up a lot of your time this morning. I got one more question for you. Okay. If you, if you don't mind. Yeah. Okay. Um, pretty simple. What's giving you energy these days or what's exciting for you these days in the psychedelics, uh, field? I'm excited about all of it. Really. I'm, I'm, um, I'm excited about sort of just the continued development of the, the biomedical model and, and seeing that stuff, um, move forward. I'm also excited about how much is happening in decriminalization and being able to do more harm reduction and integration work. Um, I think all of the, the community stuff that's happening, that the stuff I do with plant parenthood is really motivating. Um, uh, seeing sort of parents come to these integration circles, some of whom, you know, their psychedelics have changed their lives and their families or communities, like there's stigma around it and they want to talk about that. But others who have kids or adolescents who are really suffering mm -hmm. with mental health issues and want to know when these kinds of treatments can be available for, for, for kids, you know, uh, which is a really sticky topic, but also I think a really relevant one where that's going to go in the future and just like how much work we could potentially do to um, help younger people um, avoid, you know, spending their t late teens and 20s, like really getting more entrenched in, in serious mental health issues because of like childhood trauma. Um, if, that's, if that's a possibility, to me, that's just um, really motivating uh, and exciting. Um, you know, I don't know how long it'll take before, before we get there, but that's something that's definitely on my mind that hasn't really been this obviously not as as developed as some of the rest of what's mm -hmm. going on. I think the free program is is something I'm really really passionate about. Just because we can we can reach a lot of a lot of folks, even if it's just just education. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think that's that's really important. Um, and similarly, uh, and similarly, the group the group work. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of potential there too. Both of those things really speak to to access, which is which is really important to me. Yeah, I'm also in the um, in the MAPS MDMA for PTSD uh, training program. And it's just, it's been really, really interesting to sort of like kind of finally get on the, the inside of, of that after hearing about it for, for so many years from, from colleagues and, and uh, some of the various other work I've done. Um, learning a lot there and, and interested in sort of continuing to, to push forward um, all the stuff we were talking about in terms of bridging the, the rich stuff continuing to happen in the mindfulness world. And, uh, and the psychedelic space, I think there's a lot we can, we can do there, um, for, for both communities to kind of, to kind of benefit. So looking forward to building on that, uh, going into next year too. Cool. Yeah. So Andrew, thanks so much for doing this. That was a lot of fun. It was. <laughs> thanks. Looking forward to hearing it. All right. Okay. Till next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Mindspace podcast. I hope it was inspiring. If you feel the world could use a little more Mindspace, please consider supporting the podcast. The best way to do that is to leave a review on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen, or share your favorite episode on social media. Thanks and be well. Be well.